Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. And joining me from EPIC is Amber Jamison. Amber, hey, welcome to the Eco News Report. Yes, thanks for having us on. All right. And we are also talking today with Don Allen from the Mad River Alliance. Hey, Don. Hey, Tom. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And we also have Jacob Pound with the Blue Lake Rancheria. Hey, Jacob. Morning, y'all. And we are going to be talking about the Mad River. So let's let's kind of take a 30,000-foot view of the Mad River. Where are we talking about? Where is this river located? And why is it important? For I'll kick that over to start to Don as the Mad River Alliance. Yeah, well, uh, the headwaters of the Mad River lie in Trinity County, up behind the Matthews Dam, Ruth Reservoir, which supplies the the water, releasing it down the Mad River, down to Essex, where it's pumped out by the Humboldt Bay Municipal Water District. So it's it's about 100 miles long. Gosh, I don't have the area right off the top of my head, but it's obviously the source of water for about 80,000 people around the Humboldt Bay region. So the fact that it has this dam and it has excess water these days because the pulp mills are no longer extracting something like 60 million gallons a day means that there's a, a lot of I'd call it free water, which there's there's a lot of potential uses for it. I think what we are advocating for is to use that for habitat purposes, to maintain water in the river, to support fish and wildlife in the river. All right, let's talk about that fish and wildlife. Jacob, why is the Mad River important for our local fish and wildlife? Or, or what sort of fish and wildlife do we have in here? Are, are there endangered species? Are there... Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the the Mad River is a vital waterway just in and because it is it is it provides clean water for human use and wildlife use for about like Don said about 100 square miles and it's about 500 square miles of area that it covers. And and so there are a number of species that depend on it. The threatened and endangered fish species that are in the river are Chinook salmon and summer run steelhead listed on the state list and coho salmon. So that's those are the salmonid species that are in in the river and and are threatened or endangered and you know everything from elk to black bear to to martens and all the other little critters that we love inhabit the Mad River watershed. So it's a vital supporter of life. And the Blue Lake Rancheria has been a fantastic steward of the Mad River and the the tribes that compose the Blue Lake Rancheria have been stewards of the Mad River since time immemorial. Can you talk briefly about the tribal interest in having a healthy river and what this river means to the Blue Lake Rancheria? Yeah, clean, healthy water, uh, like from a tribal perspective, it's that's that's a vital source of life. And it's it's. It's important just for exactly what it is, a clean flowing source of water for, for to support human life, drinking water, to support aquatic life for food and, and, and sustenance. And also contemporarily now, it's a source of both economic development and beauty and aesthetics for resting and just and spending some time by the river to kind of let your worries flow away. All right. So we have you both on because... We have a, a great collaborative effort between the Mad River Alliance and the Blue Lake Rancheria and other partners to help restore a section or a tributary of the Mad River. Now, let's, let's zoom in. We were at 30,000 feet talking about the Mad River. Let's get in close to Powers Creek. Where is Powers Creek and what does it mean to this larger 
Mad River system. Let's go with Don. Yeah, well, Powers Creek, Dave Powers Creek, as it's been called, or I've actually heard one person call it Magical Powers Creek, flows through the city of Blue Lake. It's a, it's a fairly small watershed, and I'm sorry, I don't have the facts right in front of me. I'm not sure exactly its areas. I would say two or three square miles, maybe. Its headwaters are east of Highway 299, and then it flows down through Green Diamond Timber Resource Land and through the city of Blue Lake. So it's it's a very urban stream. There's parts of it that are are pretty natural, but you get into downtown Blue Lake and it's channelized, constrained by development. And then it kind of goes through the Blue Lake Industrial Park, where I guess it's now called the Enterprise District, I think, and and through a gravel mining operation into the Mad River. So as Jacob said earlier, it, it does support several endangered species, coho salmon, potentially Chinook salmon, although that one's a little iffier. I think they've been seen from time to time, but primarily we're focusing on, on coho habitat. And, you know, that's, that's one of the aims of the, the Mad River Alliance is to restore Powers Creek back to a semblance of health. It has been, it has received a lot of sediment. Part of that has been from the Mad River backing up into the into the Powers Creek Channel when they blew up the Swayze Dam around 1970. It released a lot of sediment down the Mad River. And then we had, we've had some fairly big floods since then. And anyway, there's a, there's a really large deposit of gravel across the mouth of lower Powers Creek. And uh, that's basically the area that we're trying to restore. I know the, the Blue Lake Rancheria just restored the lower 500 feet. Jacob can talk about that. And the Mad River Alliance has a, a grant to restore half of the next reach upstream. The, there was a project that was designed by Greenway Partners around 2015, 2016. And we're basically working off that design. The guy who worked for Greenway Partners at the time is a, is a CAD jockey and fish biologist, Keith Barnard. He's now working for the Mad River Alliance along with myself and Alderon Laird. So we're, we're basically the three-person team that is doing the planning and permitting and we have about half the money to implement a project on the upper half and I, I guess my original hope had been that we would be able to dig the channel deep enough and get some permanent water in there but I, as, as I have since found out there's such a thick layer of gravel in there that that's an unrealistic hope but we do think that we can improve the riparian habitat we can improve the winter habitat and the spring and fall habitat yeah, so we're hoping to get started on that uh, next year. We're actually we're working on the permitting and just some final tweaks to the designs right now. So, Jacob, can you talk about the tribe's hopes for for the future for for Powers Creek? What what do you look to see this area become? Well, yeah. So the 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 mutual goals that we're trying to meet for for implementing the the projects that we did, which was a it was a two phase project. The first was removing a, a small undersized rail car bridge. And so we did that in 2016. That was a that was a almost a total flow barrier to adults. Can you, can you explain what you mean by by undersized? What what's oh. going on here and, and why is it a, a problem? Yeah, and this is great. And I all I wish I could take you out to show you on site because it's something to see. So the 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 bridge that was previously there was a I forget how long it was. It was 20 foot long rail car, flat car, rail car bridge. So like what you see on a standard, like for a standard railway car, 
was spanning the the, the kind of gap bank to bank over there, and they put wooden footings underneath it. So it wasn't necessarily something that was designed for a long period of time to last. And sure enough, the creek watershed area is big enough that when it started to really flow, it was eroding the the, the footings out. And so that caused the then person who owned that property to pour concrete throughout the entire channel, which is really bad. And uh, it, caused, it caused all sorts of problems. It locked in the gravels and the gravels above the, that point started to aggrade and just fill up and was causing nuisance flooding throughout town. We're in some of those constricted areas. And then downstream, it cut this huge hole. It was about eight to 10 feet drop to the bottom of the pool. And the velocity coming off that concrete sill was a total passage barrier to juvenile salmon. And occasionally adults would be able to make it up through there. But the, it would create a stranding pool that then every year fish would, would get locked in there and die. So when we replaced the bridge in 2016, we did a fish rescue and ended up rescuing like something like 60 steelhead and a dozen Chinook and, and 18 coho out of that whole out of three events. And this is a pool that was literally two feet wide and one foot deep Ooh. at the time. So, they, they, yeah, they were packed in there. And now the bridge that is there is 100 feet long and 20 feet wide. So now it's you go out there on site and you see the bridge is now as wide as it once was long with proper footings and, and, and designed to withstand uh, larger flows. So this is going to allow the the river, the creek, to to act in a more natural state. It has more room to to spread out, and the flows can flow underneath the bridge in, in a more natural way. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly, and and so it's it's meeting those mutual goals of reducing the nuisance flooding. And the second phase project was to create an inset floodplain, which is sediments to store water and provide low velocity areas when the water is really high for fish to escape from the river so they don't just get sluiced out and rebuild a better, more advanced and diverse riparian corridor down there. So you said this bridge was replaced in 2016. How, how is it performing? Is it meeting kind of your, your hopes and expectations? Literally the first big flow event and the fall of 2016 was a pretty good year with some good early flows. Literally two weeks afterwards, we were seeing adult steelhead pass through up under the bridge and up into Powers Creek. So that was pretty exciting to see. That's wonderful. Could I just get some clarity of the location of the second phase and where it would be with respect to like the gravel mine and the the mouth of the river or the mouth of the Powers Creek? Definitely. So the Powers Creek actually flows in this section. It flows on the Rancheria property in the city of, of Blue Lake or adjacent to the city of Blue Lake. And it is between the gravel mining property owner and the Rancheria. So we're all working you know, mostly on the, the private landowner. He has graciously allowed us to, to take some of his property to, to allow for a better ecology in there. And then where it exits out of the Mad River, the mouth of Powers Creek is, is on the Rancheria property. And I bet we could probably get a map and some other documents so you can see what's going on in this restoration up on the website for this show, which is on the lostcoastoutpost.com. So if you want to learn more and see more, go to the Lost Coast Outpost and look for the show notes here. All right. So we have we have replacement of a bridge that was part of a problem. What what else is going into this restoration work? I, I think that there's some some vegetation planting. Don, can you talk about that sort of planting in the riparian area and what you're hoping to achieve with this? Yeah, well, our, our project is basically, I'd say, mimicking what the Rancheria has done below the bridge that they replaced that Jacob's talking about. And that's that's basically 
the start of our project, although we, we don't have funding for, we have, we designed about 3,000 feet of channel enhancements. So when, when we applied to the Department of Water Resources Urban Streams Restoration Program, we were awarded a grant for about half the project, which also includes getting the, the CEQA document completed and, and permits. So uh, and unfortunately, we didn't quite understand the restrictions of the grant program when we submitted this, and we thought that we would be able to identify our contractor and use him to do the work. And our contractors, also the landowner, Gary Johnson, who owns the gravel mining operation, and I think he just did the work for Jacob and the Rancheria. So he's totally qualified to do the work. And it's natural that he wants to do the work on his own property. Unfortunately, we would we will have to put that work out to bid. So DWR was flexible and they allowed us to move move the, the section that we're going to work on, move it upstream to the upper half. We figured that the whole project is going to be somewhere around $1.3 million. And we thought that that was kind of a large ask for any one grant funding program. So we decided to split it up into two halves, the upper half and the lower half. The upper half is entirely on the city of Blue Lake property. So anyway, we didn't have any restrictions, or I shouldn't say we didn't have any restrictions, but we had fewer restrictions working on the city property and we just accepted the fact that we were going to have to put it out to bid. I should mention that we did apply to the Fisheries Restoration Grants Program, which is operated by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And the one nice thing about the FRGP is they allow you to name your contractor in your grant so that you don't have to go out to bid. So knowing that we were going to have to get two grants anyway, we shifted the DWR money up to the upper half of the project and we applied to the FRGP for the lower half with the intent that if we get funded, then Gary Johnson will be the operator and will do that work. And, and that part of it's entirely on his property. So Jacob, I, I think I saw on Facebook that you were out literally with a shovel putting in plants in this riparian area. What What is the tribe planting along Powers Creek and, and what are you hoping to accomplish with this, this riparian planting? Yeah, um, yep, I've been digging holes in rocks. <laughs> It's a lot of work, isn't it? It's not as hard as it sounds, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the planting plan and revegetation plan, we're planting everything from riparian vegetation in the active channel, which is primarily red alder. And then as you move up to the inset floodplain, that's going to be a mix of Oregon ash and big leaf maple. And then cutting plugs of arroyo willow and Pacific willow, and also black cottonwood to, to fill in some of the slope landscape there. And then at the top of the slope, planting big trees, because that's the way that I throw shade is with big trees. So Sitka spruce and coast redwood and Douglas fir. And also my my kind of pet project in here is reestablishing lower elevation hardwood forest. And so gathered some Oregon white oak trees and planted a couple of Oregon white oak groves uh, to then provide habitat for the future. The Eco News Report, and we're talking with Jacob Pounds of the Blue Lake Rancheria and Don Allen of the Mad River Alliance about a cool private-public partnership to restore Powers Creek in Blue Lake between the Blue Lake Rancheria and the Mad River Alliance. So, when when you're planting this, is the vegetation planting is it mostly for shade and trying to to cool this section of Powers Creek, or what what all does vegetation planting do for for a river? Yeah, definitely. So the primary component is to get those big shade trees established to, to discourage invasive species that'll come in, like the Himalayan blackberry, 
And, and that's, I think that's the primary invader is what we're dealing with. But also the deciduous trees, like the hardwoods, the, the ash, the maple, the, the red alder, they lose their leaves in the fall. And that leaf litter creates a great source of nutrients for the macroinvertebrate populations, which makes more food for fish and, and grows bigger, better fish. So yeah, the, the purpose of the whole replanting is to just accelerate the, the project in ecological time instead of you know waiting for it to come back on its own. We're planning that diversity intentionally so we can, we can kind of get a jump start on, yeah, providing stream shade, food for fish, and then also food for, for uh, habitat for birds and other terrestrial species like deer and elk. And I, I'm sure hundreds of years or, or many, many decades down the line, we'll also get large woody debris that can come back and play its natural role in, in the stream too. And I think that that might be part of the planting of the, the redwoods and the dug firs and, and whatnot as well. Yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that we're doing on our project, and uh, I'm not sure if the ranchery included this, we call it a large woody debris. And we artificially place logs in the creek because there are, there are not very many large trees within that riparian zone that can fall in. And there, there's also, because it's in a semi-urban area, the upper part of our project is in an urban area, there are some concerns about unintended consequences of restoration. We don't want to cause a big log jam that then is going to cause flooding somewhere. So we, we did design, I think it's a total of 18 log structures, but they're very simple log structures. They are anchored into boulders placed in the bank. We use epoxy glue and cable, cable them in so the logs don't break loose and then jam up somewhere. But the, the idea is that they help scour pools and create deep spots along the channel edges and then hiding places. And that's one thing I learned many years ago when we used to use do direct observation of fish. Fish are, are sight feeders and they're very territorial. So if they can see another fish, they'll go chase that fish away. They can't see that fish. They don't know they're there. So two fish can be a foot apart and both feeding there. So that's where the, the woody debris comes in. And we call it large woody debris, but small woody debris is, can be good too. So that, that's one of the things that we are including in, in our project. We have many of the same plant species that Jacob talked about for the riparian restoration with the idea that not only will those trees create shade, but at some, as, they, as they get larger, their roots will help hold the banks together. And actually, those can provide some very nice scour pools and undercut banks where fish can hang out and hide and escape from predators. So it's kind of a long-term prospect, but by the time those trees are, say, 25, 30 years old, they will be big enough that they that their roots will be providing that kind of anchoring stability to the banks and also that undercut habitat that fish can use. I, I love large woody debris and the, the kind of story and history of large woody debris in streams, because I, I think it's so wonderful because it, it's a great lesson in our hubris as, as a species where us humans, we, we got into these streams and we're like, oh, they, they're such a mess. <laughs> we got to clean this up. Let, let's take some dynamite and blow up all these old growth redwoods that have fallen into this stream here and we'll make a better fish passage. There won't be all this blockage. It'll be so much better for this stream. And now... Decades later, we're we're coming back in with heavy equipment, and we're we're putting back into the stream the things that we once took out. I, I try to keep this in mind when when thinking about kind of human intervention in the environment. How much 
<laughs> do we know? And are we are we actually going to be doing long term harm because we think we're so smart? Yeah, it's kind of ironic because when I first started doing stream restoration work and we'd go out and talk to landowners, usually in ranchers or sometimes timber company folks, and we would tell them that, well, one of the things we'd like to do is put large wood in the creek to create fish habitat. And they would look at us a little funny and they'd say, you know that 10 years ago, the Army Corps was paying us to take this wood out of the creek. And they were responding to the 1964 flood. And the Army Corps, all they think, well, I shouldn't say all they think about, but one of their focuses back in the 60s and 70s was preventing flooding and nuisance flooding on the adjacent properties. So yeah, they were paying landowners to go in there and remove that large wood. So it kind of made us look a little silly in some ways or us generically, I suppose, or collectively, that we we kind of changed tactics somewhere along the line from being stream cleaners to people who are actually trying to put some of that large wood back in the creek and make it meander a little bit more and create scour pools. And there's still some people who, if you mention the name willow, as far as riparian restoration, they'll just say, "Uh uh-uh, they don't want willows because there's this preconceived notion that that they fall on the creek and they create flooding and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we look at willow as a, as a fast-growing tree species that's very important to a lot of bird species, willow flycatcher being a, a good example. Even though we're, our focus tends to be on fisheries a lot because that's kind of where the money is, we like to look at these as ecosystems and not just the creek. So it's just the riparian zone and it's the birds and it's the amphibians and it's the insects. It's all all part of that ecosystem that we're trying to restore. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for the lower project footprint, we did, we have put in a large wood structure for all those purposes that Don had mentioned. And then a couple of, a couple of boulder structures and then kind of piggybacking off of that log theme. The whole reason why Powers Creek looks like this and needs restored in the first place is the development of the Grizzly Park Mill there in Blue Lake, which encompasses like all of the end of Taylor Way, like where Tomasso's is, Mad River Brewery, the power plant and Calgon Carbon. In 1947, that was all flattened out for a mill, and the creek was channelized and moved from its original channel and diverted to fill log ponds and then flow as quickly as possible off of the, the mill site there to for so you could deck logs and, and do all that kind of stuff. And the 1947 Schuster Aerial Collection has a wonderful photo of Powers Creek, like cleared out and freshly diverted. And I with the student that that digitized that whole collection. In 2017, when I was tasked with creating the Powers Creek Watershed Plan, I was able to reference that photo and then kind of get the whole story of exactly why Powers Creek looks the way it is. And it probably would not have given maybe millions of years. It might have recovered to a certain extent. But this, all this work is necessary to bring it back to a, to a higher functioning watershed in, a, in a, the span of like a human lifetime. Which is, which is the, the sort of pace that we're going to need to prevent a lot of species extinction, right? We have a salmonid populations that are just on the brink of blinking out. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of the good work that the Mad River Alliance is doing and the Blue Lake Rancheria. And it's very cool that we have this relationship too, where you have the Blue Lake Rancheria sovereign government working together with a nonprofit and you're taking money from the state and from the feds. It really seems like everybody is trying to put in a laboring oar here to restore Powers Creek in, in the Mad River. 
Yeah, and it's, yeah, I have to say thanks to our, our partners. They are officially our project partners, the city of Blue Lake. They are co-sponsors of our DWR grant, and they've been great to work with. They're as excited as anyone to see this project get underway. And, you know, I think Powers Creek and the Powers Creek District has the potential to be a real focal point for the town. And I mean, it already is. When I'm out there, I just, there are some really nice trails along the creek that go through the the business district there. And I see lots of families, lots of people hiking from there out to the levee along the Mad River. So we're, we're real excited about this. We're going to have some interpretive signs that we're going to put in there. And one of the goals is to try to foster this stewardship ethic. So the community embraces the creek. They understand how important it is and they see it as the valuable asset that is that it is. And we see that as the best way to kind of improve the way humans treat the natural environment. Once they once they look at something as a valued asset of the community, they're going to tend to take care of it more. So that's that's part of our goal too. And it's like some people might balk at the, the amount of money that we're spending on an urban stream that has a limited amount of habitat, but we look at it as the educational value. And with Blue Lake Elementary School and HSU, which is going to become the Cal Polytechnic of the North, I guess, there's, there's a lot of potential there for outdoor education and for community involvement. And that's something that we plan to do once, once we finish the channel work and we get into the revegetation phase, then we, we hope to have some volunteer work days where the community come out and help us plant some of the riparian zone. And I'm glad that you brought up partnerships, Don, because that's, that's how all of these projects, both phase one and phase two, that the, the, Rancheria has been involved with have happened. So, you know, obviously Gary Johnson has been a huge part of that in providing labor and, and the desire to, to let us work on his property. And then National Marine Fisheries Service, they helped out a lot. I mean, there's a, the alphabet soup of agencies that have been involved. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service paid for like the first, the bridge replacement and all that. Caltrout was a part of that too. Currently, we're working with the Natural Resource Conservation Services, the EQIP program, which is geared towards ag. It's from the Farm Bill, and that's how we're kind of leveraging funds to get to get this, this specific work done. So it's we've had to be pretty creative in pulling that together. And I give all that credit to Michelle Fuller, who is the director for the Blue Lake Rancheria Environmental Programs. She is amazing at problem solving and being able to figure this this whole puzzle out. Well, wonderful. Any last parting thoughts on? on this restoration program or on the Mad River? I just wanted to say thank you guys for doing all this work. And when you do get together a volunteer day, let us know. I'd love to get out there and work around in the the stream zone. And and we're happy to put the word out there to our members that there's an opportunity to get involved and and help out as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. great. Thank you for that offer. We will definitely do that. I think we're, we're hoping that we will be able to start implementation next summer on this city's part of it, but we haven't got our permits yet. And that's always kind of a a scary spot to be in. And it's, you hate to make predictions when you still have to go through the secret process and get all your permits, but we're well on our way and we're kind of keeping our fingers crossed and hoping that we do it. And if that's the case, then we would start our planting in the fall and winter of 2022, I guess that'll be 2022, 2023. Wonderful. Yeah. And currently I'm, I'm planting all the trees for the Powers Creek section are in the ground now but I'm still working on plant protection just to get them established so that the deer are pretty aggressive and occasionally we get, we get an elk and there's active beaver just downstream in the Mad River Channel. So I'm right now, key element of tree planting is pounding T-posts and making cages to get the trees to a large enough size so that they'll survive on their own. So if anybody's interested in, in participating in that kind of tree planting, I have plenty of, of work to do in the next month. 
<laughs> Your arms are going to be mighty sore. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you, everyone. And, and thank you for your work to restore the Mad River in Powers Creek. Thanks, gang. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Eco News Report. Join us next week on this time and channel for more environmental news from the North Coast of California.